Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Join me at the 10th Annual Media Excellence Awards on January 18th in Beverly Hills, California. The attendees and I will be celebrating innovation and leadership in technology and entertainment. There are 20 award categories with 1,000 nominees. These awards honor those who are creating groundbreaking technology to better our lives and celebrate the hard work, determination, and brilliance in the leadership within the companies which create the new world we live in today. I will be recording nominees and winners at the awards. For tickets and more information, go to MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Adrienne Mizels. She's the CEO and founder of My Planet. Adrienne, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing is is actually really, really innovative and something I find really, really fascinating and I love in my kind of daily life. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's start off with getting to know you a little bit better and kind of where you grew up. Okay, awesome. Well, I... Uh... I grew up on the Jersey Shore. I used to I used to love saying the New Jersey Shore, but after that TV show, I'm like oh, a little hesitant. But um, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but those are all people who are here in the summer, and they all leave. Um, <laughs> so I grew up on the Jersey Shore, sure. and uh, I went to college. I went to the University of Pennsylvania for okay. undergraduate. I got two degrees there in four years. Okay. What did you take? Uh, just out of curiosity. Yeah, so I took uh, my degree from the liberal arts school at Penn is in European history, okay. and uh, my I got a degree from Wharton also in international business called okay. multinational management. But so so I, why why European history and and then kind of let's go into the multinational management. Yeah, so uh, my mom is actually the survivor of two wars. Oh wow from Europe. She's from Budapest. And uh, my best friend in high school, her dad worked in the State Department and later became ambassador to Pakistan. And he was actually killed on the job. He and President Zia were in a plane that was exploded. And his, yeah, thanks. And his wife was uh, also later became ambassador to Slovenia. And she, they were my mentors. And I wanted to go to the State Department through their legal division to negotiate peace treaties to make this world a better place. But I've always been involved in technology. So we got a computer when I was 11 years old, and I started coding when I was 11. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, at Penn, I had a computer before anybody else had a computer. And I did go to law school, um, but between college and law school, I had to finance law school on my own. And I worked for three years as a software developer at what's now Accenture, used to be Anderson Consulting, and at Lotus Development Corp. And I put myself through law school by coding at nights and on the weekends after my classes and after my studies. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I I tell folks there's two things to who I am: tenacity and technology. (laughs) No, that's that's interesting. So you were in tech. 
what made you kind of go into law? Well, because I wanted, I always was very focused that I wanted to go to the State Department, State Department okay. to negotiate peace treaty. through their legal divisions. There was, there's really sort of two main ways to go to the State Department. One is a master's in international affairs and the other is oh, a, a law degree. And I thought a law degree was much more versatile. Sure. But after being at a, a law firm for four years, uh, doing large international deals in Latin America and South America, I, I realized I didn't want to go to the State Department. And so I went back into technology, um, and I went to AOL, and I was at AOL for many years, uh, first on the business side, uh, negotiating technology deals, and I eventually uh, ran the innovation team, which was called New Business Ventures. And for me, it was like, as uh, Oprah says, a uh, 360 moment, um, or a full circle moment, she calls it, where I realized that you know I had built products, I, I was a coder, I knew revenue structures and financial models and I knew strategic partnerships. And I started working in location-based services really early on in LBS's history in the United States at least. So in, in, in January of 05, I had heard that the wireless carriers were being required by the FCC to put GPS into their system so that way when we dialed 911 which is the emergency number in, in the United States sure. for um, you know that emergency vehicles could find us and it was called the E911 mandate and I'm, I was like well we're already getting a little bit of data into those little Nokia WAP phones we all had. Sure sure I remember those yeah. Yeah and so I was like if we can combine a user's location with this data then that is going to be massive. And my mandate in running the innovation team was to create large profit-generating businesses in nascent spaces. Like don't step on the toes of existing business owners by creating new features for their businesses. Create brand new businesses leveraging existing AOL assets. So we owned MapQuest, which at the time was the leading map provider. Yeah. We had AIM, um, you know, the buddy list, which is now yep. being retired, sadly. Yeah, it is sad. <laughs> yeah, actually, and the inventor of it um, is uh, an advisor and investor to my planet. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It took 16 years to grant, get that patent granted, and then three years later, they retire. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we had AIM, and, and I was like, well, if you can ping your people on the computer, you'll be able to ping them, put them on a map. And it was like Foursquare before Foursquare. I called it Friend and Family Finder. Interesting. And we had City Guide and Movie Phone. We had Points of Interest. I went to the president of, of advertising. I said, location-based advertising is coming. And I put it together into a huge strategy that I called the AOL Neighborhood. And uh, AOL got actually got five patents granted off of that strategy. And wow. one of them, which I know of, uh, Facebook acquired. Nice. And they, yeah, they filed three more uh, off of it. And they're now using it in their virtual assistant M 10, 12 years later. That's really cool. So walk me through kind of the tradition or transition, sorry, from kind of, you know, your, your corporate job into kind of founding your own company, um, my planet. Um, so that is an interesting one. Uh, I had taken a life sabbatical after AOL. Okay. Um, yeah, traveled, bought a guitar. Sure. Uh, I do not blame you at all. <laughs> <laughs> read a lot. Um, and when I was ready to, uh, go back 
and get a job, I um, had a meeting with, uh, I won't say who it is. I won't say who it was, what company. They they didn't have a position for me, but I was hoping that they would create one, uh, an an innovation position. I was telling them about what was actually the very early genesis of of my planet. Um, And uh, it was, at that time, it was very focused on places. And at the end of this meeting, the person said, you know, I really like that idea you have on places. I, I just might steal it. And I looked at them and I was like, what? And I said, well, take me with it. And he smiles and I said, there's a lot more of where that came from. And he says, good one. And I went home and I was talking to a friend of mine that night who actually at the time ran anti-money laundering for Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, like, you know, a no BS type of person. Sure. I, telling I was telling her she said I had your meeting go and I'm like blah 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 and then he said he might steal my idea and she goes what she said you're not doing anything she said why don't you just start it just start it and uh two two weeks later I was uh went to visit my mom and she introduced me to this woman who was a software development company in, in New Jersey they do military uh, contracts and I started telling her about the idea and she was the exact opposite she said don't tell me anything more she said send me an NDA put your ideas down on paper and then come talk to me and so I did yeah I did and I um I took two weeks I mapped out the whole thing in like a moving powerpoint you know with animations and transitions and screens and how things would move between location and time and went to them and they were fascinated and they wanted to invest a quarter of a million dollars and I think they would have owned the military rights, we would have owned the sort of general public rights. Unfortunately, their R&D budget is their sort of their slush fund and they had overages in other parts of the company so it wiped out their budget. But I was like, if, if they're interested in investing a quarter of a million on a two-week PowerPoint, I have something here. And that's what started it. Wow, that's that's really fascinating. Actually, I always love that those kind of like founding kind of stories that and how quick you kind of got funding, right? Yeah, well, they they actually technically they didn't fund us, but because they were interested and were going to put the money in, you know, um, it said that I had something there, and that's what. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. That's great. So, walk me through kind of what happened after that. So um, it's, you know, it's definitely been one of those startup stories. I, uh, you know, I, this is my third time trying this, um, my planet. I've had two times where uh, as uh, there's a female version of saying this and the the male version, (laughs) I'll I'll give the male way. I got the ring twice and I got beat up. I stood back up again. Um, You know, there's a lot of lessons in learning how to hire. Uh, I think that I have been very blessed in my career at working at top firms and working with terrific people. Um, And, not having to hire on my own, right? Like having recruiters. And so there was a lot of lessons learned in the first couple times in, in, in hiring and who to look for. But also I think it was a blessing in disguise because the vision that I had for my planet, the phone processor when I first started, couldn't handle the UI, couldn't handle the multiple pins on the map, couldn't handle the dynamic visual. When you look at my planet, you can see your life moving and zooming in and zooming out. Um, and it was a very, the first product was very much of a manual entry. And now everything is, almost everything is automatically done for you. 
And so, uh, really this, this last time has, you know, the third time is a charm. They say, I have a terrific team of people that I brought on. Um, almost all of them have been part-time for equity. Sure. And, um, you know, we've, we're a completely bootstrapped company and I used to be very proud of the idea, but I think I'm even more proud of this team now because my team is just fantastic. And, uh, these folks are working this as a second job. Um, they came on cause they wanted to have a passion project. They're all invested with their heart, soul and mind into, into this company. And with a part-time team, we have created a ton of complex technology. So, those guys have my guys and, 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 and women have my heart. So my heart and soul. So no, but I, I think that's actually really good advice in itself, right? Is because everybody kind of says that, well, not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but like you read online that like a lot of people say that, you know, everybody needs to quit their job and just kind of do this thing. And there's a lot of kind of successful apps and companies out there that are have team members that don't all work full time or, or kind of do it as a passion project. And I think it's in my experience, some of the best and, and kind of most fun projects kind of start out that way, right? And then you, as you're kind of working on a business model and, and kind of trying out the idea, it, there's it's less kind of stressful for some of the people when you know, they're not worried, like they know where their kind of paychecks coming from, right? Yeah, it's exactly, Kevin. I, mean, I found this sort of sweet spot of um, people who either are consultants, and therefore, they're not getting equity in the companies that they're working for. So they don't sort of have that, let's call it economies of scale or potential for a bigger payout later down the line. Or they're working at, at jobs where they're not either challenged or they find it boring and what we're doing is very exciting and so in you know especially with technologists I mean they're creative I mean yes code is very logical but they're creative creatures at heart right and so they want to do something that they're passionate about and so that's not every coding job that's not um and so you know I I reached out to them and I said you know part-time, flexible, nights, weekends, I don't care, you know, while you're brushing your teeth, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you know, yeah. you know, weekends, it's, it, it doesn't matter to me, you work it around your schedule, so it's like the ultimate flexibility, and yeah, but you know, we have some, we have, we have, we have rigor and structure to our company, we have a daily uh, video scrum call, and so everybody gets on it to the extent that they can, you know, if they have a meeting at work or whatnot, they have to miss it. Of course, we understand. Sure. But we have we use tons of technology tools to keep us in line and in process. And we launched our app in January. That's so. that's great. So for people that haven't heard of the app, what exactly are you guys doing? Because I, for me, it's really cool. But for people that haven't heard of it, walk us through that. Yeah. Okay. So just to so they know it's it's called my planet and it's it's my plan, it my planet, one one word, um, and the sort of the high level for the consumer app is it's a it's an automatic life logging life organizational tool, and it we also call it it's like a second brain or um, somebody told me he calls it it's his neural Google because in Google. 
you can't search yourself. You can only search other people's information. Um, somebody called it augmented memory. Um, what we do is there's two parts of the app. There's the journey screen, which is passively tracking where you go. So if you go to Starbucks and you get there at, you know, 855 and you leave at 815 or 915, we'll, we'll, you know, record that and we'll bring in, and what we do too, so there's two things we do is we're passively tracking where you're going. And then we're sinking in the data that exists in your disconnected siloed app. So as digital creatures today, we're creating tons of personal data. And it's this data is stored in all these various apps that don't talk to each other. Sure. And so I'll give you one example. You know, a single moment of life. Say you're at dinner with a buddy and you have a terrific bottle of wine. Okay. That single moment is recorded across your various applications. Your buddy's information is in your contacts. That dinner event is on your calendar. That restaurant is in a Foursquare check-in or an email. And the photo, the wine bottle that you loved, is now stranded in your camera application. Sure. None of those apps talk to each other, right? They don't work together. You open up each app, create, record some data in it, close it, and then that app stores that data in its own format for its own later use. And the result is that none of your apps have a holistic view of you, Kevin, the user. What, what we do is we bring in, we sync in the data from all these different applications. And version one of my planet starts with calendar, contacts, photos, videos, and your location. And we're bringing in two location databases, Foursquare Venues and Google Places. And we interconnect all that data and then we geolocate it and we geotime index it. So we then put it on a map and a timeline so that you can find it based on how your brain works. And I'm really, what I did in my sabbatical in addition to learning how to play the guitar poorly. Um, <laughs> it's still fun. Yeah, um, but I but I really got into the brain. I'm really into neuroscience and the brain, and we think in context. And um, you know, the 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 hippocampus part of the brain connects the who, what, where, when parts of the brain, um, and that's how we think. Um, and so, like, in, like if I said, oh, Kevin, what was that name of that restaurant we went to? Remember, it was in Tribeca. It was, it was summer. It was, we were, it was hot out, we, right? We were sweating, right? Sure, sure. It was, it, it, that's how we think. We think in time and place. Um, but in technology today, all of search is word-based. And there's only one neural connection to names in our brains, which is why for most of us humans, we forget the names. Like, right? Like, well, who was that client I met at that, that conference? Or what was the name of that bottle of wine? Sure. So the question becomes, what if you could search for your information without any words? What if you could search based on how your brain actually works? Interesting. So you zoom in on the map to Tribeca. You push the time slider back to beginning June, early September. And all your personal data that is geotime indexed to that time-space reality appears. The places you went, the events you attended, the people you met, the things you did. And that's version one of the app. This is why I call it augmented memory or a neural Google. You can search based on how your brain works best. Sure. I, the thing that I always find, and, and actually the funny thing is, is it happened to me yesterday. My my aunt called me 
and she was like, what was the name of um, the hotel that we stayed at in Mexico a couple years ago when my wife and I got married? And so it was funny because I couldn't remember the name either. And I literally had to go back through my email and kind of Google Maps. And like, because I usually try to, well, traditionally, I usually used to try to star all the places I've kind of been when I'm traveling just because uh, kind of before we, we talked, that's kind of how I've been doing it for a number of years. Um, and obviously, it doesn't pull all the data like you guys do because some of that data wasn't available like five, six years ago when I kind of started doing some of this stuff, right? But it was funny because I had basically that same experience and thing that you guys are solving happened to me personally yesterday. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it happens to us all the time, right? I mean, sure. because a majority of the work that the brain does is trying to recall, right? Exactly. And it was five years ago, so I can't remember, right? And they Whoa! always have like crazy... Well, they have crazy names, right? That you're like, I can't even tell you how to begin to spell that. So, <laughs> right, 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 right. So yeah, so that's that's sort of what the the app does. And, and so I say we interconnect data, but we also interconnect functionality. So if you wanted to, it's not just the name of the the, the hotel that we would bring in, but we bring in. You can get directions to it. You can call it. You can. You'll we'll bring in the URL. In the future, we'll be bringing in. You know. Uh, reviews and store hours um, but we also do that for the people so if you had people attached to that you can call and email so which which you normally have to go to your contacts to do one and like you said Google Maps to call the other right why is that data disconnected when we experienced it and that functionality when we experienced it together sure no I, I think that's great so you guys are on iOS currently are you working on an Android version at some point we will be we absolutely okay. build, will be building an Android version. Yeah. Okay. The the one thing that I, like I was playing with the app I, I, and I'm impressed about the performance that you guys got because anybody that's ever done kind of mapping and data over mapping understands how much of a nightmare that can be. So what are you guys kind of doing for optimization? I know this is kind of a little bit nerdy, but I'm, I'm more curious to myself. myself. Um, so we've spent a lot of time, and, and I, I call my uh, developers and get them on the phone to like really answer the specifics of your question. Sure. But we've spent a lot of time on uh, sort of two two core things. We have algorithms for the passive tracking to get that okay. as optimized as possible, including, you know, minimal effect on your battery. Sure. Because everybody's like, oh, you're going to eat my battery? And we're like, no, we will not. We promise. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the sort of the biggest battery chunk is when you do in, when you first sign up and our little engine is working a way to interconnect your calendar with your contacts, with your places, with your photos, and pull that all together. Sure. You know, that initial setup will take a little bit of time, depending on how large your database is. I mean, maybe a few minutes. Um, but after that, we've worked really, really hard. So, um, And we released a version a couple months ago before we had it where, um, and if you go to our website, I haven't changed the, the screenshots, but we'll, we would it was as, as the crow flies from one point to another. Now we actually will show you the route you actually took um but our yeah our developers are awesome and they've worked really hard on the efficiency of that and another thing that is a really big challenge um that we've worked really hard on is is syncing because we are 
sinking in and interconnecting these these bits of the information. Like I, I, I point this out because I think people are not necessarily aware, like they don't think about it, but con- we're about who, what, when, and where, right? So your people, and if you go to recall it, that's what's on the um, top tab bar. It has people, as places first, which is your where's, your people, which is your who's, your tags, which is your what's and, and moments, but those are chronological, so that's your when. And, and your physical body is always at some location, right? That's the latitude, longitude, altitude. That's the where. You're always at some point in time. That's the when. You're always doing something. That's the what. Even if you're unconscious and you're sleeping and there's apps that track sleeping and we'll be able to bring that data in in the future. Or you're meditating, right? My meditation app tracks my meditations. And you may be with somebody else. That's the who. So any sort of given nanosecond of time is this cluster of who, what, where, when data bits. Um, we internally have a name for it and we got actually a patent on our data structure. We call oh, wow. it the, ge- the geotemporal unit, right? So time location. We're connecting data based on time and location because that is how, as I explained before, that's how our brains work and that's making data really intuitive to the user. Um, and so the syncing, so the, the, the contacts, the, your contacts form in, in, has, has a who, what, where, when. So the who is Kevin, right? The where is where you live or where you work, right? The when is your birthday. The what is if somebody tagged you. And uh, calendars have who's, what's, where's, when's. The what is Bruce Springsteen concert. The where is Madison Square Garden. The when is the date. The who is the people I went with, right? Sure. And we have these who, what, where, when bits. Uh, scattered across our various applications and like I said before they don't talk to each other well, what we do is we bring it in and we connect all the who's everything about Kevin whether you know in the future we bring in Facebook or LinkedIn or my photos or my calendars or my contacts everything about aware right and so that syncing pulling those data bits out and then reconnecting them into this geotemporal unit this molecule of life this nanosecond of life that makes sense is also you know something that we spent a lot of technological time on sure no i i think that's that's really great so you recently also kind of took the app and moved into kind of the real estate vertical walk us through what you guys are doing in the real estate space yeah. Um, so we we launched the consumer mobile app, but even before we launched it, we realized that um, our initial psychographic, even for the consumer app, is the highly mobile professional. Um, people who are out and about and looking to, you know, who go places and meet people. And so I was actually um, talking to a friend of mine who's an agent. She said, if you brought in MLS data, she said, I would live on this thing. Interesting. Yeah. And so I pounded the pavement and I interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of agents. And I showed them the app and I explained what it would do and bring in the MLS data. And the re- results I got, the feedback was overwhelming. It was so awesome. Um, and so we've taken that, the, our general consumer app, and not only put MLS data in it, but we've created new screens and new features uh, that are focused directly for the real estate agents. And what it is, it's like a virtual assistant. It's um, connecting who, what, where, when, and bringing in MLS data and giving them features around it. So right, what, what I realized is that when agents are going on their showings and their tours, the vast majority, like almost everybody I spoke to, uses a notebook. Interesting. They're, they're, they're recording wow. their 
Yeah, like um, somebody I spoke to, she she said she gets home at night and she writes down I, on paper, I took this client to this home, that one to that one, that home, this one liked the kitchen, that one hated that, the, the, bath, the bathroom, uh, this one has a dog, this one's son's birthday is blah, 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 right? Because they want to follow up. Sure. Referrals is huge for for agents for anyone in sales, right? Referrals is 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 a higher rate of return than 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 even an you know an incoming lead where there's no support behind that lead, right? Sure. And all this data they have scattered on paper across various notebooks. I've spoke to some agents who take their notebooks back to the office and they retype them into Microsoft Word um, or Excel. Oh, at least. Wow. It's searchable right now sure. think about all the administrative burden but they're the smart ones i i have uh, i asked uh, a few of the agents that i spoke to for a photo of their notebook so i could put it in our decks <laughs> sure and one of them it, it took her five days to get me the photo she apologized she said i'm sorry i lost my notebook oh that sucks right it's not even backed up in the cloud sure and so at, at at the at base level, my planet is recording where they're going. They got to this home at nine oh six in the morning. You left at nine thirty two, and then we suck in the MLS data, so it's there. And if they take photos, we bring in the photo from the camera and connect it automatically for them. So all that information is there. They can add a note. They can speak a note in. We'll geotime. We'll I mean we'll index every word spoken, and now they can see by client. Oh, here's all the homes I took Kevin to. And they can search by location, zoom in on the map. Here's the homes I took Kevin to in this city, in this neighborhood, on this street. They can search by time. Here's all the homes I took Kevin to last week, last month, last year. Sure. And they can search by words, you know, kitchens that liked. Here's all the homes with kitchens that he liked. They can see by place. Here are all the clients I took to this one home because everything is cross-indexed. It allows them to be the neighborhood expert because they can keep tagged lists of they can say uh, of of places, schools nearby, supermarkets, wine bars, restaurants that they want to um, you know refer their clients to and share with their clients, or people, attorneys, and mortgage brokers that they'll be able to send those lists immediately to them, and. Here's a list of home for them to say uh, to show uh, clients. Here's homes that they sold in the neighborhood where their client is list is looking is huge. They automatically have right there. They zoom in on the map. Here's all the homes I sold in this neighborhood. Here's the homes I sold on your street. Right, all there. And then the new client features that we have, the new real estate features we have is um, we have a. It opens up to a, a section called My Hub, okay. which is a notification center. It shows them their next two upcoming appointments, the current moment that they're at, in case they want to add comments, um, if that's a home that they're showing, and every new listing that's hitting the market that matches their clients' preferences. Interesting. It, yeah, and then we aggregate all their clients. So if they have five clients who match that property, it's one we show it to them once, as opposed to what happens now is they get five emails from their MLS, one for each client. So we aggregate all of that, and they can tap on that property. They can see more detail, and because it's connected to calendar, they can automatically schedule right from there the showings. Um, they can call the listing agent. They can call their clients all from one place. That's really cool, actually. Like, it, like, I could even see how this could be used in a bunch of other verticals outside real estate, right? If you pulled in just different types of data in different kind of in industries. But 
for the real estate professional, like I it sounds, I love that like million dollar listing show. And yeah. like, it, it's so, it's just funny because you watch kind of how they do like any real estate person. I have friends in, that do kind of real estate too. They're always on their phone, right? Like everything lives in their smartphone and, and you're basically pulling all that content into one app instead of them having to check five, 10 plus apps, right? Exactly. And to notify, we don't have this yet, but we are going to be building in-app chat and they will be able to give their client, um, a my planet, uh, you know, client edition oh, nice. for real estate. So now everything is centralized in one place. And I, I say that my planet's like the best, you know, personal assistant because it knows the agent because it has its data and it thinks like the agent because it's structured like our brain right sure. and so it minimizes their administrative time and it streamlines their communication and, not, and then the result is that it's improving their bottom line right because time is money and sure. all their information is there and there was um an nar study done where they uh surveyed home purchasers five years after their home purchase and they asked them are you happy with your home yes are you ha were you happy with your agent yes What's the name of your agent? Um, I don't remember. Sure. Like, you know, leads is like the first sort of level of, of business sales for agents, but referrals is the next level. And now for the first time with My Planet, they are going to have all their information about each client centralized, organized, stored, readily accessible. So that way when they communicate again with that client, they'll remember who they are everything they did with them and their preferences. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause the, what reminds me is like when my parents bought a house, like this was in the late eighties, I remember the real estate agent that they used would send like a calendar yearly, right? Just like a physical calendar. And it like had her photo and like name, right? But not very many people use like a physical calendar anymore, right? So having something that they can kind of maybe check in every year or every couple of years on kind of past people that, you know, they sold a house to because as, you know, people get older and they have a family or, or whatever, they upgrade and downgrade and, you know, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I, I, I talk about like the, the, the physical calendar. My mom actually has the Norman Rockwell calendar still in her <laughs> fridge <laughs> and she makes notes in it. She's a piano teacher and she's adorable. Um, but the reason we have these disconnected siloed applications is because we had physical, um, we had paper silos. Sure. We had calendars, right? We had little black books, which had our people or our who's. We had yellow pages and maps, which had our places or our where's. And our, our what's were in, in, in notebooks and photo albums. And technologists didn't think about it. They did not think outside the box. They just took these paper paradigms, these paper silos, and created digital analogs of them, right? And, sure. and, and, and put them on the PC. And then when we got the smartphones, they brought them over to the smartphones. And the, the problem is that paper, paper silos can only handle one type of data, one structure. It can only flip in one direction, right? Sure. Because it's constrained by its, its, its physical nature. But in digital, we can take advantage of of, of context. And I, I say that there's if there's Gary, do you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Have you heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? The yeah, yeah. yeah. So here's this quote, which 
I love, which is if content is king, then context is God. Sure. And I saved there, Yeah, right? And I've saved there's one word we're in the business of. It's context. We contextualize data. And right now we're contextualizing personal data along with like third-party data. So like you brought up a really good point. Like and we are getting approached by other industry verticals. Like the 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 my plan I, I we used to joke internally like you know you have those investor questions like oh what's your demographic? Oh, well we're only targeting people with hippocampi. If you don't have a hippocampus, this is just not for you, which is a little bit of a joke, but you know, it, it yeah, is for yeah, a yeah. More, like if you're a couch potato and you go absolutely nowhere, probably my planet's not the greatest tool for you. But if if you if you leave your house and you're going on about, <laughs> everyone can use uh, something that's organizing the 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 app. You know, other than email and text messaging, my planet organizes the apps that you use most: your maps, your calendar, your photos, your contacts, right? Sure. Your notes, um, but. Because of the way that our geotemporal unit, our data structure, is is the way we've created it, we can append any type of metadata to a who, what, where, or when. So we can bring in Salesforce and CRM data because that's just metadata around a who. We could bring in travel data, scrape wiki travel, and, and that's metadata around a where. So to your point about different industries, yeah, we can just append any kind of metadata related to who, what, where, and or when. Sure, that that's great. Uh, I think this is probably a, a good segue into kind of, we talked about it kind of both like before we recorded and, and kind of before, you have a really good phrase called like the internet of you. So I, I wanna kind of get your take on that because I think we're at the beginning of kind of this whole revolution that you guys are kind of solving with my planet and, and kind of the internet of you. So what exactly does that mean to you and, and uh, my planet. So, what the Internet of You means um, means to me is, uh, like, so just to repeat, we're creating all this scattered, disconnected data about our lives. Um, when you connect data together, it becomes very powerful and very intelligent. And actually, Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the World Wide Web, did a TED Talk in 2009 that um, he called the Semantic Web. And he he says in that talk that, you know, there was a power, and the World Wide Web is what it is. It's a, it's a collection of documents, right? It's mm-hmm. HTTP, right? Web page connected to web page. Um, and he said that there was a power when you connect to documents, but he said it's nothing compared to the power of when you connect data bits and he wants to connect data bit to data bit within the world wide web and in this talk he he says that there's other genres of data you could connect financial data government data personal data and i'm like ding 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 you know that is what we're building by connecting these various data so it's not only just you know there's connecting a who what where and when together to create a moment or a nanosecond of life or, you know, our geotemporal unit or GTU. But when you connect GTU to GTU to GTU, you're, you're connecting moment to moment to moment. And now you're getting, you're digitally recreating the flow of your real world life. And so you're understanding someone's patterns, behaviors, and movements, right? And you know their current real world context based on the device sensors in the phone that they're, right, the data that they're they're transmitting. Sure. And the uh, anything you're putting in um, uh, currently any data you're inputting. And obviously with insights, 
um, you can, you know, understand someone's future. And so for me, the Internet of View is connecting the data from all these various siloed applications, first and foremost, to help you, the user. Like, ideally, what I would love is to have a dashboard where the user owns and controls their data. And then it's an ecosystem where your data where you give access to those aspects of your data to different application providers because they are giving you some benefit, some value, right? So then it becomes a triple win. These application providers are getting deep intelligence about you. You're getting it so that they can give you offers or services or features. Um, You're getting... um, value from it and the ecosystem anyone who's part of the internet of kevin as each application provider feeds into it and as whatever you do in any given moment you know adds to the um sort of a cumulative build of greater and greater relevance about your life then each application provider who comes into it not only feeds into it but gets to take advantage of this ever-growing integrated, hyper-personalized body of information about you. So they understand you in a deeper and meaningful way, which in turn allows them to deliver you extremely rewarding and engaging and compelling services. So to give you an example, let's say that Starbucks knows you get a chai latte before work every morning because of your purchase history. Now, if we can connect that purchase data to your calendar, to your location, Now your Starbucks app can proactively say, hey, Kevin, we see you have a 9 a.m. meeting downtown. Would you like to pre-order your chai latte from the Starbucks near there? Click here to reorder. Click here to order. Click here to reroute. Add five minutes to your travel time. And as you're driving to pick it up, it knows your location, and maybe it connects to Google Maps or Waze, and it realizes based on traffic, like, "Uh uh-oh, you're going to be late. So it, it, it asks you, hey, Kevin, would you like us to message the other event participants, because it has their calendar invite addresses, right, sure. of your new ETA, right? And if Starbucks was really smart, they'd get the coffee orders of everyone else in the room with their credit cards and your permission and have those hot and ready for you to pick up. So now you're the hero, not the schmuck who came late. <laughs> no, I like that to me is kind of my ideal kind of world, right? And the more and more kind of the internet can just kind of sort out things for that. Um, you know, and I think we're we're so close to being there. Like like you like Starbucks already has you can order from the app and I know McDonald's now even has you can order from your phone and like pick it up and they'll bring it out to you. Like you don't have to go through drive-through anymore and more and more like, and so the next level of that is going to be, yeah, you stop at Starbucks every morning and based on where you need to be, you either go to the same one or a different one. And it's just going to, this whole revolution is basically starting to happen. It is. We're at the, like, uh, you know, we, we talked before, but I think we're like in 1995 of the internet yeah, yeah. for what I call truly personalized computing. And, um, you know, I say it's web 3.0. Web 1.0 was the document web, right? It was the World sure. Wide Web. And you connected document to document. It was about content and it was information for the masses. Eight million people go to Amex.com. They say this, see the same thing. We are obviously hot and heavy in web 2.0, which is the social web where you're connecting personal 
person to person, but that's information about your friends. And Web 3.0 is the personal web where you're connecting data bit to data bit. And now it's about you. And it's about delivering highly personalized, predictive services. There was this great article um, in Newsweek a, a few years ago, like two, three years ago, and the author said, we are entering an age of personal big data, and its sure. impact on our lives is going to surpass that of the internet. Sure. And you know, when you think about the impact that the, the, the internet has had on our lives, never mind something that's going to surpass that. But um, he, the, the author continues and says, the game changer ushering in this new era is going to be the ability to let non-tech humans, to, to make sense of the data so that non-tech humans can use it, interact with it, and learn from it. And that's why I say my planet literally makes sense of your data because we're now structuring it based on how you think. And, you know, I say that we play in the space of personal big data. Some people call it little data or small data. It's data about the individual um, as opposed to big data, right? And sure. I say personal big data because the digital exhaust we create is now so massive that we are at a, an inflection point in history where we can start doing these things. There's enough data about us. Um, and, um, you know, I actually, I give a talk called The Internet of You and I, and, and I, and I, I start out, I say, you know, just think about the data you create from the minute you wake up, right? Sure. There's the time and location of where your phone, your alarm goes off, the number of times you hit snooze, your morning meditation, the emails and social media posts you read and send before you enter, you go to work, your Uber car ride or Easy Pass call, your Starbucks daily purchase, and it's not even 9 a.m. yet, yeah. right? People, we are literally creating data through whatever we type in and the digital sensors, the device sensors in our phones, almost you know, constantly, right? So, so like we are consciously and unconsciously creating data all the time. And that data captures almost every aspect of our real world life, which sure. is why, why we can do this. And, you know, big data, which is, you know, it's not even like a catchphrase anymore. It's like saying computer. Like, yeah, it's big data. Like, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, it was like, oh, big data, what's that? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Buzzword, big data. It's not even a buzzword anymore. But the, the big, big data is excellent for getting sort of high level psychographic and demographic uh, understanding. But it's aggregate level, you know, like they'll take tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people's information to get these aggregate level psychographics or, or, or demographics so that they can create a cohort or a segment. So like you're a Caucasian male you're in Canada, right? Who's yeah. between the age of, I don't know how old you are, 34. 30 to 40. Okay, so good. I was 30 to 40, right? <laughs> yeah. Therefore, you must be like every other Caucasian male who lives in your town between the ages of 30 and 40. Like, no, right? Yep. When, you, when you try to take big data and then plop it back down on top of the individual, it often leads to inaccurate results totally. or at best is only a small piece of the pie. So for us to really enter into this world of web 3.0 or the personal web, we have to connect the data silos of you, the individual, to understand the actual context of your life, sure. not somebody else's life. Yeah, like kind of merging the, the digital and physical world, right? And then based on my historical data in the, in the digital and physical world, tying that together is actually really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but sadly, we're out of time. So, 
Let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and my planet. Um, uh, well, if they want to, they feel free to email me at Adrian, A D R I E N N E, at myplanet.com. Perfect. Um, dot com. And uh, my planet, they, they could go to myplanet.com, uh, myplanet.com. And if they're interested in the real estate, there's a little button on the top and they can go and see the real estate product. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.